Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Really what our, our mission statement boils down to is we create products for people to enjoy the place that they love while protecting those places too. Hello and welcome to Our Impact. I'm your host, Jeremy K. Spear. This show explores what our impact is, what we can do about it, and how we can help scale positive outcomes and solutions. We'll be learning from people doing strong work across nonprofits, academia, business, and sport to connect the dots and find ways that we can all take action. This show is as a result of my own searching. A few years ago, I measured my carbon footprint for the first time, and I realized how my travel as a professional beach volleyball player is actually at odds with the positive impact I'm striving to have. I wanted to act, but it wasn't clear where to begin. I've made a number of changes since then, but I'm still learning more every day. I hope you find these conversations useful and that the ideas we explore might help you take action in your own life and community. My guests today are Jake and Caroline Danahy, brother and sister co-founders of Fair Harbor. Fair Harbor is an innovative apparel company that makes its beachwear and clothes from upcycled plastic bottles. Fair Harbor is a public benefit corporation and currently going through the B Corp certification process. Jake and Caroline recently won the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award and the Future Pioneer Award from Reuters. In the seven years since Fair Harbor was founded, they've upcycled 20 million plastic water bottles. As a professional beach volleyball player working to use my platform to scale impact, I was fired up to partner with Caroline and Jake and become the first Fair Harbor athlete. In our conversation, we talk about their founder story, how they've been product and customer focused from day one, and how Fair Harbor is staying true to their mission and purpose as they grow. I hope you enjoy our conversation. This episode is brought to you by Mir. The reason I partnered with Mir is that they make beautiful products I enjoy using day-to-day and traveling, which helps them cut down on single-use plastic. I can't tell you how nice it is to have their Thermo 3D vacuum-insulated bottles keep my water ice cold the whole day when I'm at the beach training or competing. My favorites for the beach and travel are the 42-ounce wide-mouth water bottle for hydration, the 20-ounce travel tumbler for coffee, and the food canister that I pack my son's school lunches in. Aside from making awesome drinkware, they've earned B Corp, 1% for the planet, and climate neutral certifications, so you know they're taking transparent action to have a positive social and environmental impact. And if that was enough, every Mirror product sold helps fund nonprofit partners working at the intersection of communities and the environment. There's literally a giving code on every product, so you can look up Mirror's impact made possible by your support. Go to Mirror.com and use Casebeer20 to receive 20% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Rise Brewing Co. Rise makes my favorite nitro cold brew coffee and provides energy for good people to do good things. If I'm at home, I start my day with Rise's original black nitro cold brew with their oat milk, or if I'm heading to the beach to train or surf, I'll take a mocha or vanilla latte with me. The best part is that Rise is 100% USDA certified organic. The oat milk Rise makes is tasty and impactful. Farming oats uses about six times less land than farming dairy, and six times less water than farming almonds. I've been working to shift towards a plant-based diet, but I'm not perfect and it's definitely a process. Rise makes it easier for me because I can swap half and half for Rise's tasty plant-based oat milk, and I'm supporting certified organic farmers, all while enjoying delicious nitro coffee. Head to Rise Brewing Co. and use Jeremy's C15 for 15% off your order and free shipping. Caroline and Jake, thank you guys so much for coming on and taking the time. I know you're very busy after just getting back from a shoot down in San Diego and Cardiff for the spring and summer line. Thanks so much for having us, Jeremy. Uh, it was great to catch up with you for a little yeah. bit when we were there. Um, but yeah, no, we're excited to be on your show today. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad we could finally get this on the book. So uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, so would love to dive into a little bit about your guys' background. You have such a cool founder story with Fair Harbor. Can you share a little bit about how 
you guys first experienced kind of the environment growing up with your family and were exposed to sustainability and climate change. Caroline, you had a fashion blog around sustainability back in junior high. Yeah, it was in middle school and high school. I had a fashion blog called Cakes, Cookies, and Cardigan. And the whole premise was I would come into the city every weekend, go to different consignment shops and vintage shops and find a way to make old fashioned new again. So yeah, that was a little bit about that. But Jake, do you want yeah. to kind of dive in? For sure. Yeah. So Caroline and I were siblings and we grew up going to this place called Fair Harbor in Fire Island. And Fire Island is a, is a really special place. The island's about 27 miles long, but only about a hundred yards wide at certain spots. You know, you have band one side and ocean on the other. And really the, the island doesn't have any cars. It's covered in boardwalks. And so when we were kids, really all we needed was a bicycle, a, a pair of board shorts and a surfboard. And that was it. And we'd wake up every morning at 5am with our dad, go fishing, catch snappers and take them back and cook up snapper and eggs. And this is a really simple way um, of living during the summers. But what we started to notice was because Bar Island is a glorified sandbar, any plastic waste that isn't disposed of correctly goes into the waterways. And so as we got older, we started to notice more and more plastic waste washing on the shores, but really didn't think, you know, what we could do with it. And so fast forward a bunch of years, um, ended up going to Colgate University, played lacrosse there. And I went in uh, with the expectation of being an economics major, probably would have gone to finance or real estate or something like that. And then I started taking geography classes and Jeremy, I know you were a geography major as well. Yeah. Uh, which is, is very rare. I don't, we don't really come across <laughs> the geography majors, which is whenever I, whenever I tell that story, we're like, oh, so you looked at maps and I was like, not oh, quite. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like an awesome blend of sustainability, yeah. actual geography, anthropology. Mm -hmm. Like you can kind of take in whatever direction. And I actually, I started out as an econ major too at UCLA and econ yeah. 101. I had like a professor on loan from another school and just totally burnt me out and then switched to that. So. That is yeah, so get, That's exactly what happened to me as well. <laughs> Mine was, uh, I was pretty serendipitous in yeah. itself. It's out of every professor at Colgate, I was paired up for my freshman seminar advisor with Jake's geography advisor. Yeah. So it was, I think it was kind of fate in that, in that sense too. Yeah. But, but you know, Jeremy, your point, what was so cool about geography was I think it's the ultimate liberal arts degree because you listen, you learn about all these different things. Definitely. For, for us and for me in particular, you know, I was learning about global ocean currents, climatology, um, and ultimately this massive plastic problem. And so that really frustrated me because of our tie to Fair Harbor and Bar Island. And as we discussed earlier, Carolyn had always been super into fashion and um, really been chasing down the, the trends, but she was also the kind of the resident tree hugger of the family. Um, <laughs> Caroline, I think, went to a climate march when she was in middle school as well. Um, and so yes. had, you know, um, very interested in, and kind of outspoken about climatology and, and sustainability in general. And then actually the theme of her bot mitzvah was, was very challenging. We were told yeah, it, but it was sustainability. And so <laughs> um, it's really funny, but uh, yeah. So I ended up doing an extended study with a professor on plastic waste, the fact that erosions are our health and in doing so found a bill that was converting plastic bottles in the yarn. And this is back in 2014. So I turned to Carolyn, I'm like, we need to something about this issue. And that's when the idea of Fair Harbor was born. And our objective was to create a platform to help promote the mitigation of single-use plastics by making an awesome product that people wear and love. And really what our, our mission statement boils down to is we create products for people to enjoy the place that they love while protecting those places too. So our place is Fair Harbor. You know, your place might be Rio de Janeiro though, or, <laughs> or California or whatever it may be. And, and for us, it's to make sure that we have products that can help you enjoy those places and then while protecting at the same time. Yeah, and for us too, off of that, you know, I think sitting in geography, you know, you have some professors that they're so doom and gloom. Yeah. And for us, you know, how can we be that beacon of hope and show people 
people, all of the incredible innovation out there and just show people how to live a little bit more sustainably, you know, one step at a time and using our inspiration as Fair Harbor. And, you know, I think back to those days where you're just riding around barefoot and you're going fishing and you're connecting with the environment in such a natural way that all of a sudden you feel like you're one with the water. And, you know, that sounds ah. a little bit, but like, that's really, I think, just being in the natural environment is where we initially developed our, our love and wanting to preserve it for generations to come to. Yeah, those are some of my favorite memories as a kid. And even now, like when I have an opportunity to go on a holiday or go somewhere nice is like one pair of board shorts, no sandals, no shirt all day long, no showers, <laughs> just good food, good people and at the beach. So I think building your messaging and story around that, like everyone wants that. Everyone has probably experienced that in some way. And like you said, so much of the messaging around sustainability and climate change is doom and gloom and finger wagging. And obviously we're in a very difficult situation and we need radical change, but without simple steps or without a plan of action, that doom and gloom doesn't really land. So I think figuring out what the next best step is and what we can all do as individuals and what levers we can pull is the best step forward. Everyone has unique superpowers, so you're not going to destroy the world or save it all on your own, but we can all play a meaningful role in making real change. Absolutely. And I think in my perspective too, you know, as humans, we're emotional creatures. And I think for us too, you know, how can we tap into that? So it doesn't become something that's larger, you know, larger than life to grapple and understand how can we really kind of touch each person to understand, you know, where's that place they will want to preserve and protect and kind of what's that emotional connection that they have. So I think for us too, it's to look at it, you know, when we're individuals and we can act as a group, I think mean, that's really where the change happens too. hundred percent. So I want to get into just a little bit of like the nitty gritty. So you guys are at Colgate, you're Caroline, you're a few years younger, Jake, you're working on kind of wrapping up your time there. How do you take the idea of Fair Harbor? You found a supplier that takes plastic bottles, turns into yarn, which you can turn into clothes. How do you go about actually turning that into a business? Me think about my college self trying to just design one pair of board shorts and get samples and stitch and design and all that sounds like a nightmare, but then how do you even go from that just to turn it into a profitable business? Yeah. So uh, it was, it was interesting. I, I think some thinking back to those times, we, Charlie and I had like naivete, which I think was one of our, I think, best things to utilize because we didn't really know what was in front of us. We just had yeah. to kind of figure out how to do it. It wasn't like, oh man, this is super difficult. It's like, all right, well, we want to do this. How are we going to do it? And so it's just like a little hitting signals every step of the way. And so I started a uh, entrepreneurial incubator on campus called Thawne Action. And so because Colgate was a liberal arts school, we didn't have a business degree or anything like that. Some entrepreneur alumni basically came together and started this program to help aspiring entrepreneurs um, build businesses. And so we, we were in this program and, and then in the spring of 2015, Carol and I were awarded the opportunity to pitch at a mock shark tank competition. And so the university brought in Jessica Alba and Lucy Hammer and Rio Blumenthal from Morgan Parker. I'm <laughs> in front of the runway and uh, Carol high school at the time, actually. And so I was a junior and she came up and we pitched her for and ended up winning $20,000 in grant money to start the company. Before that, we had really just, you know, we found a manufacturer, we figured out how to make it short and we made one style, one board short, five colors, a hundred of each color, and we produced those. And so that was our first line of production and we sold out and we're like, hey, we actually might have something here. So we didn't just necessarily, you know, turn on, on Facebook yeah. marketing or anything and all of a sudden sure. we sold a lot. So Jake and I, that summer, we threw a bunch of board shorts in the back of 
our car and traveled up and down the East Coast just talking to anyone and everyone who would hear our story and touch and feel our products. And, you know, those trunches, I think, were some of the most pivotal days, too, in the early, you know, the early start of Fair Harbor, because I think for us, every single sale we had to work for and understand what goes into converting a customer, what goes into, you know, hearing product feedback and iterating and everything like that too and i think for us it just kind of it humanized it as well you know just understood you know what goes into each and every sale and then we realized a few years later that your trunks those aren't quite scalable <laughs> sure so beyond us just grill marketing and you know spreading ourselves a little thin during the summers in the holiday markets and everything yeah and i feel like that's something that 10 years ago entrepreneur 15 years ago is kind of shamed upon now it's like it's so many people's dreams. I want to become an entrepreneur and scale and have an early exit and raise a bunch of money and this and that. But those trunk shows going boots on the ground and actually having those conversations with local surf shops, having that conversation with local customers, you really figure out what resonates, what they're looking for in terms of style, fit. And that's where you learn how to refine your process and develop that relationship with your customer, which is if your product brand, which you guys are, is so vital. And you so many people, it seems, want to skip over that part, but you guys just really embraced it. Yeah, and that's such a good point. And I appreciate you picking up on that because, you know, we saw that firsthand. You know, we could have, if we, and I think it was a good thing that we had to go through this because sure. if we had raised a bunch of money and we had expectations to hit sales within the first few years of, without actually testing out a product or understanding why it worked or why people liked it or they didn't like it, you know, we could just, we spent a lot of money, you know, trying to figure out those problems. And whereas because we actually had to just get out there and do it ourselves, like we took those learnings and that's what allowed us to scale, you know, seven years later. And I think too, that, that market research included, mm -hmm. you know, as pay attention to what converted, like I said, and I think for us, you know, we started with the sole mission to convert post-consumer plastic waste into wearables, specifically ultra soft, you know, swimwear that men, that made men's lives easier at the beach. And so if anything too, you know, we'd be sitting at our table and we'd be saying, you know, so we're made from recycled plastic bottles and it would catch people's attention. And it was a, it was a great place to educate and spread awareness about what we we're doing, but it didn't convert customers. Like people ultimately were gonna buy our product because it was a superior product, not because it was just sustainably viable. And for us too, it really forced us to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, how are we gonna make the best product out there? What does that look like? What are the features that we need to include in this product? And I think it just showed that product has to be superior. And then afterwards, we can really build our community around sustainability, do cleanups and everything like that to spread awareness, but ultimately lead with product too. Yeah, 100%. And that's the biggest, I think, argument in the last 10 years, but now it's becoming less and less valid is, well, the green products aren't on par in terms of quality, design, et cetera, and they're way more expensive. Well, that's not really true anymore. Now they're superior in a lot of ways. They have a positive social and environmental impact and they have reached price parity. I'd love to dive into just a little bit more about that design process and figuring out what works and doesn't work. I heard an interesting anecdote about a few hiccups along the way with the uh, zipper on one of the earlier pairs. How did you kind of go about actually designing and iterating and improving to figure out what works best for your customers and what they really want? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great story. And I think... We learned right off the bat of how important customer experience is in listening to our customer. So our first line of production of board shorts, we had, as I said, one style, five colors, and we had a launch party in the city at the Delancey rooftop downtown. We 
like plan this party, invite everyone that we possibly knew. Then what we did is uh, we had our mom and one of our friends' mom. We set up a booth, and people could buy our products and have a couple of drinks, enjoy enjoy the summer fun. And I went to the bathroom and I opened up my fly, and the uh, velcro came off of my short. I'm like, oh shit! God. So what actually happened on one color, the light blue board short, the factory had glued down the velcro instead of sewing it down, and yeah. so. Basically what that did, we had only sold like 20 of them at the time. And so basically went out to every customer, we got them back, we took them to a local seamstress and then they sewed them down and then we sent them back to our customer and everyone like really just appreciate that. And like, like no one does this or anything yeah. like that. You no know, brands like Patty Gunnia have built their reputation on it. But, you know, for us, that customer experience was so valuable and that customer feedback that that's, you know, how we kind of continued building it. So after I graduated from college, I didn't really know how to make apparel or dad was in real estate or mom was a stay-at-home mom. And so I applied to an accelerator program through Pratt called the Brooklyn Fashion Design Accelerator. And Pratt basically wasn't seeing enough environmental change in the fashion industry from the top down. And so they invested about $2 million in this program in Brooklyn to help aspiring sustainable fashion entrepreneurs learn the trade. We had a sample room in house. We had professors who were our mentors and they helped us like really understand how to construct garments and, you know, in a sustainable way. And sustainability, not just from a fabrication standpoint, but from a durability standpoint, from a fixed mending issue standpoint, from a trim standpoint, to make sure that all the items that go into the garments are are like super durable and sustainable and, and built to last and not just fast fashion. And so that was incredibly valuable. So understanding, build, building that skill set to actually understand how to create product and then talking to our customers and understanding what their needs are. And ultimately what we boil down to is we create a product thesis and our product thesis is number one, the product has to be sustainable. Number two, our products have to tell a story that can be understood in a matter of seconds. And number three, our products have to solve a problem. And so when we go into developing any new product, we really look at that thesis and make sure that it checks every box. So, because, um, that's how we know we're going to sell the product and how we can uh, make sure that we're doing the right thing for our customer standpoint. It's funny too. There's a, I remember this one instance and I haven't thought about this in a while, but when we were at Pratt University at the BFDA, I remember sitting down with one of our mentors and we were thinking about developing t-shirts and they're like, do you want to use regular cotton? Do you want to use regular polyester? Jake and I were turning to us because it was the first product that we hadn't made besides men's board shorts. And we're like, if we start, you know, going away from our core values and who are who are we as a brand and what do we stand for? And we made the decision during that time, you know, everything that we do has to be sustainable. And it's who we are as a brand, it's who we are as people. And everything, you know, to Jake's point about this product thesis, it all has to revert back to it. And I think we've built the company based on transparency and sustainability. And that's even we were applying to become a B Corp too. And we're in the process right now, Jeremy, as we've discussed, which is a lengthy process in itself. Yeah. You know, we built the company from the ground up around sustainability and everything that we do has to go back to our, our core values as a company too. Yeah, it's so helpful to have those kind of filters or thesis to filter decisions through because I imagine once you get up and running and you have all these kind of inbound opportunities and you start with board shorts, well, there's so many different products and categories you can expand to from there. But, you know, how do you do it in a thoughtful way where you're, like you said, designing a su superior product that your customers want? and making sure you stay true to your mission. I'd love to dive into a little bit more about the impact and you mentioned B Corp. So obviously you guys make all your gear from post-consumer plastic water bottles and the ozone board shorts, which I love and train and compete in are made from 12 plastic bottles. And I just heard you cross the 20 million bottle threshold. 
of using 20 million bottles through all your products over the last seven years, which is pretty wild. Can you dive into that process a little bit? So how do you actually take plastic water bottles, turn them into clothes for people to actually wear? And like you said, that they're actually comfortable. They're not like the green products from 10, 20 years ago that are itchy and fall apart. How do you manufacture them? Where do you source the bottles? What's the supply chain look like? Yeah, we basically take the bottles. We work with our manufacturing partners who take them from mass recycling facilities all over the world. They collect them all together and they, what they do is they chop them up into little, tiny little pieces and they extrude them and they shred them into polyfibers and they spin that polyfiber in the yarn. In some cases we blend with other fibers to make them stronger, such as organic cotton, spandex, and then we weave those into fabric. And then we either digitally print, and then that's called a, a grayish fabric, which is kind of a fabrication that's just white and untreated. And then you either dye it or you digitally print on it to make our products. And so that's the process. It's pretty simple and it is more expensive, of course, than, than virgin polyester, but it's, of course, it's what we, we stand for and what we're, what we're building. And for us, it's just, you know, progress, not perfection. So every step of the way is how can we do better next, next time. And so, yeah, this is what we're utilizing now, but we're always looking for new technologies and how we can improve our production going forward. This episode is brought to you by Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab is a certified B Corp makes high-performance skincare by combining pharmaceutical-grade science with nature's most potent ingredients. Finally, a skincare routine that uses non-toxic, sustainable ingredients and actually works. In high school, I got a nasty sunburn that literally burnt the pigment out of my skin and left me with a surprisingly symmetrical two-tone mustache that led to my nickname, the Lorax. I've been playing beach volleyball professionally for over a decade, using sunscreen every day, and have spent more time in the sun than I care to think about. I can't tell you how damn happy I am to have a simple and effective daily routine to leave my skin feeling healthy and help offset all the exposure and damage that can come with playing beach volleyball. I use their three product regimen daily. The clean slate is a balancing cleanser I use in the shower. The base layer is a light moisturizer I use every morning. And the good is an antioxidant packed face serum I put on before bed every night. The regimen is backed by a clinical trial with real people and 100% participants reported healthier looking skin. So I'm not alone when I say this stuff actually works. I love Caldera Lab's mission and products, so want to share a special discount of 20% off for our impact listeners. Go to calderalab.com slash casebeer or use the discount code casebeer at checkout. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com slash casebeer. I'd love to touch a little bit on the B Corp certification, which you're working through. When I first started, my interest around impact is couple questions, kind of like you have a couple of questions you use to filter your business decisions. And I was basically focused on what is my impact? What can I do about it? And how can I help scale positive outcomes and solutions? And when I was looking like, okay, who are the businesses that are really leading the way? How do you know that you can trust them and they're doing what they say they do versus greenwashing and third-party certifications jump to the forefront and that B course were really leading the way across social and environmental impact. So I guess when people ask you, well, what is a B Corp and why is Fair Harbor doing it? How would you explain that? Yeah. So I think the, the B Corp process has been eye-opening for us. So we've been in the process for over a year now. We are a public benefit corporation. And so that is just one of the requirements of being a B Corp. There's like over 150 requirements that you have to, that you have to work through. But I think the lengthiness of this process has really, I think, just solidified of how actually like important B Corp is because you know, there's no BSing. You have yeah. to you actually there's have no to, fluff. There's no fluff. And, and, and for us, we decided to be a public benefit corporation. And so what that means for us, so that's like a legal thing. 
you know, because being a corporation, your only responsibility is to your shareholders. Yeah, whereas maximizing the, profit. Exactly. Maximizing profit for your shareholders. Whereas being a public benefit corporation is you can look at other things to benefit, such as social and environmental change in governance, as opposed to just trying to create profits. And I think that is a major turning point for us is how a corporation can be used for good, not just for creating profits for shareholders. Yeah. And like you said, literally changing the legal wording in your founding documents versus just saying, all right, we're going to try and donate some money here and there. It's like, no, we're not just maximizing profit for investors and shareholders. We're also thinking about how our business decisions affect our workers, our supply chains, the local community and the environment. So exactly. yeah, that was very well put. And it's cool to hear that you're already a public benefit corporation, which means you're founding documents in the state where you are, and then working towards the third party certification with B Lab, which is B Corp. What were some of the areas, I guess, like as you go through, and like you said, the B Corp and B Impact Assessment, which is the questions you work through, are very extensive. What are some things that kind of popped on your radar that you weren't really thinking about before, something that you're working to improve? I think if anything, too, it just shed light. It's such a holistic way to think about a company. And for us, too, because we've been growing quickly, culture has been huge for us, too. And as we look to build the team and bring on new team members, how can we think about, you know, sustainability, too, in terms of creating an incredible group of people that are, you know, in it for the long run? And what does it mean to offer other um, benefits to people, too, that make their lives better and their family lives better? And so for us, too, just thinking about even things like the employee handbook, too, and what are we offering our employees? And so I think because, too, that's just something that stuck out as well as we were going through it because mm-hmm. it was Jake and myself up until t- the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. And now we're almost 25 people. So it's just, you know, wow. as we're growing the team, what does it look like to make people's lives better, too, beyond the office and, you know, beyond the time that they're spending, you know, in the physical, the physical space with, with COVID and everything. But I think for us, too, that was something that allowed us to, as a team and as leaders, to kind of think about, okay, what are the policies that we're implementing, too, from a culture standpoint? Yeah, and, and it's it's creating a, a positive environment. So making sure that we have a fair paternity and maternity leave policy that, like, so people can really be there when their their children are born because um, yeah. that's such an incredible part of, of their lives and and also continuing education so offering stipends for our employees to go learn more and how can they be better citizens and not just you know um like you said just focus on the bottom line of course we want to we are a profitable business we are focused on profits we are focused on growing but we have these other initiatives that are incredibly important to us and we want to make sure that our employees are living full lives yeah i think you know as we were looking at the requirements through product and supply chain. It's not like we were all of a sudden having to work with new factories or rerouting our supply chain or looking to completely undo things that had already been set in stone. How we built our business was sustainable already. And so it's okay. Yeah. How can we take what we've built the company off of and then where is there room for growth? And for us too, people was a huge part of that too, as we're looking to grow the team. So I don't thing too is we're going through the process it's like okay well how can we undo these things that wasn't kind of uh, our own leading it was more like okay well how can we be better as leaders and this team and i think to jake's point too earlier on you know progress not perfection and you know how can we do in our end for sure and it's cool to hear i mean it's kind of wild to think that up until 2019 is just you two and now you've hired you know a dozen and a half people and building out your team and i had a great conversation with brian poppy who founded Mir, which is B Corp, 1% climate neutral. And he was talking about how one big difference between B Corp and other third-party certified brands versus traditional brands is how they view their culture and their people. So many people, so many CEOs view their employees as a cost. 
versus he thinks about it as an investment, like you're talking about, like how can we create different incentives to help them continue their education, to have paid paternity and maternity leave, to show up like feeling comfortable that their whole family and their life is well looked after and their work is like actually matters and there's a higher purpose to it. So I think that's really cool. And just going a little bit deeper on hires. So you also hired your mom as the office happiness manager. Did I get that right? Exactly. Yeah. So I saw her and that was one of the things like we started working together last year. Uh, I was so stoked to become the first Fair Harbor athlete. And I was a fan of Fair Harbor from afar. And then obviously I wanted to see and try the product. And once I did, I was like, all right, this is awesome. How can we make this happen? And then shortly after we started working together, I saw, I think it was Mother's Day. And then I saw your mom like in a behind the scenes shoe with like two male models on either side, just that with a huge glow on her face. And obviously you guys live like very close to home. So you're able to see, and you guys are really a family run brand. So how has that been being able to grow Fair Harbor and do it along with your family? That must be incredible. Yeah. You know, it's been really special and having our mom has been an incredible supporter since day one. Our entire family has been. And I think based on those family values, Jake and I say, and this might sound cheesy, but we really mean it. So we're looking to turn our employees and our customers into family. So everyone feels like they're welcome around, you know, our Sunday night dinner table or our Wednesday night bonfire. And for us too, like we shipping everything out of our parents' garage up until you know, September of 2019. <laughs> it took a lot of hands during some, some of the peak summer months and everything like that. And we really needed all hands on deck. And our parents and our younger sister too were the first ones to to volunteer and you know whether whether they wanted to or not sometimes we we needed the extra help but it's been awesome too and I think our mom has been a huge part of the design process too and bouncing ideas and when we were working at home too she would just kind of keep her head in um and just kind of give her two cents and most of the time she she's right more than she's wrong it's so uh, we really really both kind of valued her opinion and for her to be a part of the office space too and in a larger way and it's been really incredible for her to have a larger perspective and just like a, a larger way to be a part of Fair Harbor too. And I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about, about culture and, and it's creating a really welcoming environment. Like she's probably the most welcoming person I've ever met in my life. And yeah. not because she's my mother, but she brings our hundred pound birdies mountain dog who actually, actually hugs people. And so it's her sidekick and they're walking around and just yeah. making her feel really comfortable like you know she makes sure that the snacks are ordered and things like that and and also just like make sure that people feel comfortable and and are happy you know i yeah. think that it's uh the, the title speaks for itself it's, it's such like a small thing sometimes like literally going around asking people like what's your favorite snack can we get a free offer and like sure. that small thing just makes people feel really comfortable and it's funny we had a meeting right before the holidays and so my mom offered a person a cup of coffee and she brought it in like holding two hands and gave it to him and He's like, is that, is that your mom? <laughs> and we were like, yeah, he's our office happiness manager. But yeah, she's like, he's like, I have never received a cup of coffee from an office with so much love before. And yeah. I'm just so taken. And I think it's like the small things that just hopefully, you know, whether you're here for the first time or this is your full-time job, um, your full-time home, you know, how can we just make it more comfortable? Yeah. And I think those, the small details really translate, like talking about the trunk show, like taking the time to understand what the process is and what your customers really want and doing that you know, in-house too, get your own house in order first and treat your employees well so that they go that extra mile and put in that extra care and thought in everything they do for Fair Harbor at HQ. What do you think most people miss or overlook when thinking about founders and entrepreneurs? Obviously, it's pretty glorified the way people think about it nowadays. Obviously, you guys probably hit a number of bumps in the road. 
But what do you think most people miss when they think about starting your own business? I I think that, and that is funny. I was talking to my friends about over the weekend. You know, I haven't really been able to spend much time with my friends over the past seven years. I haven't really <laughs> been able to do much of anything else besides this. And yeah. you know, if you look at my Instagram page, I think, you know, it's pretty and, and it shows all the awesome places that we get to go, which I'm so thankful for. But what it doesn't show is like, you know, just, we work all the time and we love doing it. And we were asked a question the other day of, of how we continue pushing forward. And I think it's really, we, the reason we started for Harbor, you know, what drive is all about is we had a frustration what was with what was going on. And then we had a passion for the environment, for surfing and for, for just being outside and combining those two things has really given us our drive to, to keep pushing forward. Um, and that has never gone away. And we're just, you know, more excited than ever to continue pushing forward and continue building with the amazing people that we have around us. What trends are you guys seeing in sustainable fashion and how do you think about the next five to 10 years for Fair Harbor? What are you guys most excited about? That's a great question. I, I think what we're, we're really excited about is, is having a platform to be able to enact change. You know, three years ago, it was just Carolyn and myself and we could make change by making a better product out of sustainable materials, but we are kind of running around like chickens with their head cut off <laughs> in, in, a, in a sense. But now that we actually have a team supporting us to push forward and a community manager and a, and a, and a head of editorial and, you know, all these positions that can really help us tell stories and bring people together and utilizing our platform to help enact change is what we're really, really excited about. And I think, like you said, you know, we did, we're excited about getting to a scale that can, you know, really push forward. And our objective is to, is to be the next iconic American heritage brand and do it the right way and sustainable. And also offer products for every member of the family, yeah. whether you're an eight-year-old girl running around the beach or you know an 85-year-old grandfather. And so for us too, it's how can we appeal and have feel like everyone can be a part of the family in that way too, and not you know exclude anyone by any means and just kind of make this really just inclusive family brand and also bring people together just to show them how they can make their lives a little better and do some good while they're at it too. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I love seeing Fair Harbor pop up like people I've never met before. I just start to see it on the on the beaches here in California. And then also the women's line coming out and a bunch of new product launches this summer and moving forward. It's been awesome talking with you guys and obviously love getting to work together and help spread that message and story of Fair Harbor. Thank you guys so much. Well, thanks for all that you do, Jeremy. It's awesome to work together and I appreciate you having us today. Yeah, thank you. This is a great conversation. So I appreciate it. Hey, this is Jeremy again. Thanks for listening to another episode of Our Impact. I hope you found this conversation useful and interesting. If you have any feedback about this episode, suggestions for future guests or topics, please leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.